If you want to relive the feels on Grey's Anatomy, Hulu is here for you. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Every episode of Grey's Anatomy is now streaming on Hulu. Seriously. Every. I'm your person. Every. Now we dance it out. Every. McDreamy. Every. McSteamy. Every. Grey's Ever. Now streaming on Hulu. And new episodes Friday. Staying consistent is hard, but it's important if you want to see results. Symbiotica is one of the fastest growing health and wellness companies right now. And they're one of the only brands that are committed to your health. They only use the cleanest and purest ingredients in their formulas. No seed oils, no preservatives or toxins. Let me walk you through my morning routine. I wake up, make my coffee, and then make sure to fill my water with Symbiotica Pure Hydration before my early morning workout. They source the best ingredients from all around the world, and I've loved every supplement I've tried so far. What's even better is that Symbiotica makes it a breeze to stay on track. With a subscription, your supplements arrive at your doorstep every month. Ready to feel the results? Head over to Symbiotica.com and use code POD for 15% off your subscription order. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Teddy Teapot with Teddy Mellencamp. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to Teddy Teapot. I am super excited about this week. One, we have on Leslie Ann Bruce, who is a number one New York Times bestselling co-author of the book, You Are a F***ing Awesome Mom. <laughs> Which, how great is that? I've got Leslie with me right now. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And we are going to be talking all things children's anxiety. So I struggle with anxiety myself, and then... Also, my son has a form of anxiety that's really just kind of cropped up in the past year where he all of a sudden decided he could no longer sleep in his own room. He didn't want to go in public bathrooms like all of these things started kind of changing in our life. And for about four and a half months, he was my husband and my roommate. Like, like we set up a full bed in our room, like for him, he camped out with us and it wasn't really until his teacher said to us, um, Teddy, Edwin, before the baby comes, you need to move him out because you don't want to do it once the baby comes and then him feel like, oh, you're getting the boot because you have a little sister that just arrived and then he'll have all these feelings towards her. So we started doing our research on figuring out the best methods and the 
biggest thing that has worked for us has been meditation. With him. With him. And I am like a terrible meditator myself. Mm -hmm. Like, but he craves it, loves it, is obsessed with it, like sits there and is like, every single night before we go to bed, he's like, mom, can we get Andy? That's the guy's name that speaks on Headspace. And he's become like our best friend. I think we're at like 997 minutes meditated. Oh, wow. In the last couple of months. So really that's worked for us. And as we've been doing Andy slash Headspace, Everything else has kind of shifted. He started being able to go back into public restrooms. He's not as frightened of certain things. And I've started to learn that if I manage his expectations in advance, we have less, like, chaos when it comes down to it. Right. Did you notice, is it like a separation anxiety with with you? Or is it, like, what is it, what, what kind of anxiety do you think it is? We don't really know because it's it it really has been changing so often. And, you know, at first I'm like, is it even anxiety? Is it when I'm working a lot? Is it when but it it didn't shift in regards to like it wasn't like when I was filming the show or not. You know, it was kind of just but I had gotten pregnant. Right. Right. (laughs) So I think that thing may have had a way a way bigger effect than. I could have imagined. Right. Right. Oh. I definitely saw that with my, I have two kids. My daughter is five and my son is now 20 months. And I definitely saw that. And it was, it's just change in general, I think, with my daughter. And she has, I mean, my husband and I both have anxiety. I had horrible postpartum anxiety after my son was born. Um, but during my pregnancy, it was a really, it was a high risk pregnancy. I was on bed rest bunch. And um, so it sort of manifests in the house, right? And I feel like there's like this, uh, like spillover effect. And so I saw with my daughter, anytime that there's like major change, anytime that we're, we're, we're shifting her dynamic, it can, it can feel tense for her. And when I got pregnant, we had that. And when we moved, we had that new school, all of that. And it's just in the key for our family, I think it's just the communication, really setting expectations. This is what's going to happen. She works well under kind of a, a a controlled, a controlled Mm. chaos. Right. That's funny that you said that because the same exact kind of thing happened with me. I was with my other kids. I was on a, you know, partial bed rest on and off. I started getting terrible postpartum anxiety as well. So as you're as I'm hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm having complete flashbacks. But then, you know, I have my son who has, you know, for the last eight months kind of struggled with it. And then recently my daughter, um, our dog passed away. Oh, And she had a totally different form of, I didn't think it was anxiety at all. I thought maybe she was sick until I took her to the doctor where she kept saying, mom, I can't catch my breath. And it happened and it was all through the holidays and she kept saying, I can't catch my breath. And so I took her to the doctor and we'd been, you know, I thought maybe it's acid reflux. I was like doing research on what to give kids for acid reflux, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we went into the doctor and I'm like, these are her symptoms. And she like puts her on a breathing machine, has a conversation with her. And then she looked at Slate and she goes, Slate, has anything been bothering you recently? And she goes, yeah, my dog died. And it's, I've just been really sad. Oh. And I was like immediately trying to like reel it in because I wanted to like break down at that moment. And the doctor goes, you know, you're not sick, right? You're okay. 
that whatever you're feeling right now, it's just emotional. And it, she didn't say just, I said just, but she's like, it's emotional. Right. You know, maybe do some breathing or you can do some yoga with your mom or some meditation or different things like that. But you are not sick. You are fine. Right. And I'm not kidding. The next day, there was she was fine. So it's such a different thing. Like, she just needed someone to tell her, you're okay. Right. Whereas my son, it's like we do this every night. We do headspace. We're constantly, you know, discussing things that, you know, walking into the dark room or walking into, you know, different spaces. But it, it's crazy how how different our kids are and how they handle things completely different, even though we're all in the same house. Right. I feel like I, I mean, I feel like that goes across the board with parenting, like having how I raise one child is going to be completely different from how I have to raise the other. And, you know, same general guidelines and morals and all that. But my daughter responds so differently to things than my son does. And to have to, I mean, for me, having to like figure out parenting in general and then having to figure out parenting two different kids in two different ways, it often, um, it can feel like a lot, but you realize that they just respond so differently and so well to different things. So you've got to like, you got to be flexible. You got to be flexible. I know. Even the doctor was like, maybe you should start meditating with Slate as well. And we did it that first night when we came home from the doctor. And I go, "Let you want to do Andy, you know, with Cruz and I? And she goes, okay. And then night two, (laughs) she goes, mom, I don't need to meditate anymore. I'm fine. I'm not having the breathing issue anymore. Like she has wants nothing to do with it. And she hasn't brought up the breathing thing again. Whereas Cruz is like, mom, can we do three Andes tonight? Four Andy's tomorrow, back to three the next day. Like, he is so <laughs> regimented. I love that. <laughs> do you think with your daughter that it was, did it have anything to do with, like, I feel like with my my daughter, I'm having to explain death to her. And that's a really, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do it in a way that's, like, appropriate for, for her age. I think she was, because she didn't, properly we it wasn't like the dog was sick like a tragic thing happened to the dog we had dropped it off at a doggy daycare place and the woman had an accident with the dog and the dog passed away and like we were out of town and we came back and the dog was gone like there was no goodbye there was nothing and the first week we were all emotional about it like we were on and like leaky faucets like crying one day laughing you know like grieving but then she didn't talk about it anymore so then I was like, oh, maybe she this is past for her. But then it just it, it creeped back in. And I think she didn't know how to express it. And I and I should have asked, you know, and, right. in hindsight, I should have been like, how are you feeling? But I was like, oh, well, she's not talking about it. Maybe maybe we don't need to talk about it anymore yeah. because then I don't break down. And, I, you know, but it was probably avoidance on all of our part. And, you know, she was internalizing it somehow. Yeah, that makes sense. So before we take a break, I want to introduce our next guest who's actually going to help us dig into all of these anxiety and stress questions when it comes to kids. Her name is Susan Zen. She is a psychotherapist. Um, She works in California and New York. She has a private practice, and she specializes in working with teenagers, young adults, and families. So I am so excited. We had I can't even tell you how many listener questions. This topic was above any other with questions like it my inbox was flooded so let's get to it right after we take a break if you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change you really only need one reason to do it 
But with Zen nicotine pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too. With thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a chill mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. So here we are. We are back with Susan and Leslie, and we are talking all things anxiety. So, I mean, selfishly, I want to ask about my own kids first, <laughs> my parenting. So I want to dig kind of right into this. So something that's kind of gone on with my son, which I gave a little backstory before you came in, but he was having trouble going into his own room. So for a while, my husband and I kind of 
just let him sleep with us in our room. We called him our, our roommate. And then we've recently transitioned him to his own room because we didn't want to do it right when the baby came. So we are about a month into it. But it truthfully has to be one of us at night doing meditation for at least 20 minutes while he falls asleep. We have a reward chart for him in the morning every night, you know, after he, you know, wakes up, then we, we praise him, we give him that. But I mean, it is a constant battle because he's extremely scared about his dreams. So I was wondering if you had any other advice for us and things that we could do. We also talk, you know, we have faith. So we talk about like, you know, you're being, you're protected. Everything's good. But he's like, I prayed. It's not helping. <laughs> I think it's so important to normalize their behavior and what's happening in their nervous system. I mean, kids also love science. So to really kind of have them understand, oh, this is normal for you to feel like going into your room without mom and dad may be something scary when he's five, right? Um, is really important. Um, and so I think you're doing a great job of really working with a reward system and kind of getting him to a routine and a habit of, you know, how to go to sleep and actually feel safe. But, um, you know, keep talking, just like as you talked about with your daughter, as normalizing this behavior. Um, and so he can kind of keep gaining that skill of really kind of feeling um, that he's capable of going to sleep and capable of actually mastering the skill on his own, which is going to give him a great sense of agency. Right, that confidence that he can do it. Yes. I mean, in that same token, a girlfriend of mine, her daughter has recently just started bedwetting again. Could that be a form of anxiety? Yes, for sure. And and the thing is, is that we, with children, we don't really, um, they don't have the maturity to really understand oftentimes what their emotional states are and to be able to articulate them. So they come out in behaviors and actions. And so it's really up to us as parents in order to help them to, to correlate the language with what's actually going on, um, being curious about it, um, being curious about certain actions that are happening during their day that may be resulting in an action, um, and also not shaming uh, we take back steps as children. We take forward steps. It doesn't always have to be kind of on this sort of linear trajectory of doing everything perfectly. Um, so I think it's really just about being calm and being able to connect with our children um, and being able to help them with language to understand what's happening. Well, how do you as a parent, how are you able to figure out if it's something is a behavior or if they are developing or, or suffering from an anxiety? Mm -hmm. How can you figure it out in order to help them. Yeah, I mean, the first step is always going to your pediatrician and making sure that there isn't any medical issue that's coming up. Um, but the other issue that I'm super passionate about is I think that we're limiting our language uh, for this generation and for our children of their feeling states. They're allowed to be happy, they're allowed to be sad, they're allowed to be anxious, and they're allowed to be depressed. And that's kind of how we talk about language with kids with feelings. We label so many things as anxiety when they actually might be excitement. Right? Because in our feeling state, anxiety, love, and excitement feel exactly the same. We get the heart palpitation. We, get, we might even get sweaty. We might get excited. Um, but we limit that. And um, I think it's really about expanding out uh, feeling states for our children to really give them a range and be able to kind of connect with different things that are happening. They may be frustrated. They may be annoyed. Um, they may be super excited. 
but they they have a hard time kind of connecting those things. And that's really what our job is. Should we be avoiding using the word anxiety in front of our kids? I actually think so. I think that we overuse it in our society and they do too. I mean, we love to label things in order to understand them in our brains, right? But um, I think that being expansive on kind of what different feelings are so important. There's actually a great book called The Human Emotion um, Book. And I think it's, uh, um, it goes through just the various types of emotional states. And there's some really crazy ones that you, you haven't even ever thought of. And I think kind of exploring that with our children of um, can we really expand these out is super important. Because a popular thing that is coming up for pretty much everyone I know is how do you help learning slash identifying? I mean, other than going to your pediatrician, but like if as somebody who struggles with anxiety, I am hyper focused when I think it might be anxiety. So how do you identify it with your child without creating a bigger issue? Right. I think that what you're talking about is so important because you have to really look at what is yours and what's theirs. Right. <laughs> right. So first unpacking that, the fact is, is, oh, am I feeling anxious about this? Am I feeling anxious that they're not transitioning? Am I feeling anxious that Cruz is not in his bed and we're having a baby in a month? Or is this really about him? Right. Or is he ready for it, too? That's right. also a big part of it. Um, you know, he's not going to go to college sleeping in your bed. So. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, those morning hugs are pretty great. <laughs> It's funny that you say that because actually my um, my sister went through a divorce and her uh, 11-year-old still is now with my uh, brother out of the house. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's developed an attachment to her where he has to be in bed with her. And now he's 11 and she has the guilt of not letting – of the change that's happened. And so she's allowing him to kind of be in the room. and But she doesn't know when it's – what's a healthy amount of sort of uh, – Time, time, and cuddling, and all of that, and then when does it get to the point of okay, now it's time to transition into our next chapter? Like, how do you navigate? Because it feels like it's such like a it's a tightrope. You like, don't want to say no. You don't want to say yes. Yeah. You you know you want to do the right thing. I think that's the hard part about parenting, right? It's all individual, and we all love to judge one another too. Um, so it's really when it's starting to interfere either with their functioning or yours, right? So the fact is, if it's interfering with your life or your sleep or whatever it may be, then that's the time to actually really work on transitions. If it's not, and it's working for the family, then it's embracing it. And also, when it comes to kids, oftentimes you'll see a child say, oh, I hurt my arm, or my foot, or my toe, or my whatever, I can't go to PE, or I don't want to go to dance class today because my leotard hurts my, you know arm, you know, whatever it may be. Is that a form of anxiety, or is it attention, or... What is that? Right. Again, I think this goes back to the question of overusing that word anxiety, but it's also really about being attuned and being curious about what's going on with a child and unpacking that because it may be a fear base. And the fact is, is our, our nervous system does what our nervous system should do um, with anxiety, which is keep us alive and keep us safe. And so oftentimes it misfires, right? And so the fact is, is that going to the dance class may feel terrifying to a child, which is, causes them anxiety. Or it may be something else that actually is really going on. But I think for us to really kind of move into our child and explore, so why do you get a stomach ache every single time you're going to dance class? What's going on with that? 
Um, is there something that I can help navigate with you and really bring down um, to their level, their understanding of what's going on with them internally? But a lot of times your kids will say, nothing, no. no if, if you get to that, then what's your next question? What's your next plan? Right. Um, yeah, because they oftentimes don't know. And so it's really up to us to kind of be able to um, investigate, to be curious, to be talking to the teachers, maybe to other parents, to observe and see what's going on that may be causing our child conflict and then moving into asking them about those specific issues. Is there a certain time of day or a a certain situation where you think is the best time to talk to your kids about those kind of things? In the car. In the car? (laughs) Um, I think oftentimes when there's too much focus, that's really when it gets into those feelings of moving back and maybe I'm embarrassed about this or maybe I'm feeling shameful. So when they're coming home from school and you're driving them home from school or maybe they're having a snack or maybe it's before bedtime, um, whatever it may be when they're actually really calm is to moving into having them to have that conversation about dropping down and, 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 and what's, what's going on with them during their day. Just the communication. I had heard this, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I had heard this statistic or this study that said that as a parent, if you can connect 25 minutes uninterrupted every day with your kid, no phone, no outside anything, and just be in front of your child, that there's not a lot that can get past you. That, you know, whether it's depression or bullying or whatever it is that's going on in their life, if you're connecting with them for 25 minutes a day, um, that 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 you'll be able to to catch anything that's going on. And that felt like a really attainable number yeah. to me. Yeah. I'm like, I could do that. Yeah, I, right? I do that. <laughs> I think it's really about also teaching them how to be present, right? Um, so because with all the social media and being overscheduled um, and the amount of commitments that we all have now, you know, we're teaching our children how to be competitive at very young ages. Um, there's a lot of pressure on them to achieve both in school, sports, whatever it may be. Um, really giving them that gift of presence is so important. So if you have that 25 minutes to really connect with them, really be curious about what's going on with them, really ask them the questions, to know them, you're doing a great job as a parent. What verbiage would you give our listeners to somebody whose their child has a big game or a big test? Because a lot of the times you hear about a child will go in and become paralyzed to even take a test because they're so nervous about not doing well in it. Or they, you know, don't even try and practice because they're so frightened that they might have to go into the game. So, like, what is the verbiage we should put around it so that we take the pressure off, but we're also, you know, we're there for them? Right. I always go back to science when we're talking to our kids, right, because they understand it from a very young age, but their brain is doing what a brain does. And, but the problem is, is it misfires all the time. So it doesn't know the difference between a test and something really exciting. Um, so I think normalizing that behavior and going, look, it, this could feel really scary for you to be going into, but I, you've got it. You've trained, you've, you've done the work, you're ready for this. Um, and now it's just about breathing and calming down your nervous system in order for you to be able to do the best that you can. And how do we, how do we, communicate that to like younger children, like to like the four or five, six year old, where maybe the, the talking of the science might be a little bit over their head. How do we help them to sort of get their, you know, wrap around their emotions? I actually disagree with that. I think they get it at a very young age. I think you can name it. Um, sometimes it's even really great to call their amygdala misfiring as something Amy or Joe or whatever it may be. 
um, in order to give them the language around that for them to feel more agency and control. So the earlier that you're actually really teaching them that, um, that they can feel safe in their bodies, um, and this is just their brain misfiring, um, we get out of that you know, talking about anxiety and talking about fear base and talking about lack of safety. And we get really into feeling more in control. And I mean, maybe I did this wrong, <laughs> but Cruz has been having a little bit of a tough time with his letters. And so I said to him, hey, bud, if every day this week we work on the letters in the morning, we'll do a little check mark and then you can get uh, a gift at the end of the of the week because you, you know, you're committing to do the time. I'm not kidding. The, within two minutes, he was like, A, B, C, little C, big D. So, like, I'm not kidding. For months, I've been worried about this. Like, he's not getting the letters. They brought it up to me, blah, blah, blah. But the second I did the reward, but then am I also pressuring him? See, it like, it, it's conflicting. So then I, as a mom, I'm like, well, am I always going to have to bribe him to show me what he knows? <laughs> like, what is happening? I mean, we talk about motivation all the time, right? <laughs> and so he was super motivated to learn his letters to get that reward. But it was um, like three minutes. I was like, you've mm-hmm. got, to, I mean, he, I, but then I'm curious, is he fibbing to his sisters and I? Because I'm not kidding, 30, 20 minutes before we were all kind of playing around on his board and he could not do it. And he was like kind of playing around and then he was like, I don't know, is that a J? Is it a J? You know, like all that type of stuff. But then the second a reward came in, he knew all of it. But then how do you get it when it actually counts? Because he's doing that at school as well. For him, I mean, I can't go walking around with like the Amazon pulled up on my phone like, (laughs) hey, here you go, buddy. He's hustling you. Yeah, he's hustling me. Well, it's also teaching our kids about internal and external reward, right? Um, so the, the goal is as a parent right now, you're giving him an external reward to hopefully kind of start building the internal. Um, and that's what makes a self-reliant and uh, child later on. It's what our really goal as a parent is. But I think that um, each kid is different and trying to find that motivation, um, whether they're feeling sort of that sense of confidence that they can master something, which is amazing, or they're needing some kind of push from a parent in order to kind of get them there. But you can't kind of measure every situation as being the same either. So as a mom, you've got to give yourself a little bit of a break um, and not think that every single situation that he's going to learn is going to actually need the same exact formula. I'm really bad at that. I'm really hard on myself when it comes to the kids because I want, I don't know, I guess I have this fear of like making a mistake that will do damage, you know, even though I know you trust, I, you trust your instincts and you, tr- you know, all of those things. But it's, I think also because I'm pregnant that like, I just want kind of them to feel happy. And so when those types of little things happen, then I'm like, what am I doing wrong? What I, I take, I take it personally. Right. I think you mentioned something really important there is you just want them to be happy. Well, we're never one constant emotional state. They're going to feel different ranges of emotion and you have to be okay being uncomfortable as a mom that they're not always going to be happy. And that's actually really teaching your kids important things too, that they don't have to chase these constant states, which causes anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of that, what is the answer to temper tantrums? If your child is prone to having major temper tantrums, like what in your opinion is the best way to handle it? Each child is really different, and I think sometimes not focusing on it is the most is the best way to go. Um, because when we hyper focus on anything, it can either give them a reward, right? Because they're getting the, the they're getting the attention that they want, 
or they're feeling a tremendous amount of shame about not being able to have the control over their emotional states. Um, and children really need to learn that. They need to learn how to control um, how they're feeling. They need to learn how to have the coping skills in order to sort of manage their emotional states. So uh, it's really kind of coming up with them together about figuring out how to get in front of it because when they are having a tantrum, it is actually, they've flown the coop. There's nothing that's coming back. You just have to let them kind of work it out in order for them to come back because there's no prefrontal cortex actually working for them to give them any sort of ability to think through, thinking through logical ways of coping with what they're feeling at this point. They're just reacting in a really, really big way. Um, so really strategizing up front, coming up with routines, coming up with a structure ahead of time in order to manage the things that you realize that do tend to cause the tantrums is super important. What about for a child who becomes violent with their parent? That is really kind of bringing in professional help when they do become violent. Um, From the very first time? Yes. Okay. Um, because they are so out of control with their emotional state that they can't actually calm themselves down. And you're really going to need a, a third party in there to give you, to help you as a parent with the coping skills and the tools in order to manage. And there may be other factors that are going on for them to be feeling that they have to be that violent uh, in order to sort of express their feelings or to be able to manage what's happening. And I would 100% recommend getting either counseling from school or professional help in in order to to help you because it's just too difficult as a parent. There's too much pressure for you, and you don't want to be in conflict with your child in that way. Can we define violence? Because when I I took my daughter to Disney on Ice before the holidays, and I got her a quesadilla instead of a hamburger, and her <laughs> the frustration <laughs> was like so real that she bit my hand mm-hmm. because she didn't know how to communicate. She's like, "Mom, I asked for a hamburger. I asked for a hamburger. You got me a quesadilla. I'm like, and whatever." And she bit my hand. Is that is that violence that we go to? I think as a parent, you've got to be able to judge, right? So if it was something that she has remorse straight afterwards and you're, you, you work it out. And, and so much of, of conflict that you have between your child is really about teaching them communication and repair. So for her to, for you to say to her, you can't do that. You can't actually bite me when you're that frustrated. You've got to be able to talk about your feelings. We've got to figure out how to cope with things and manage things together is a better way. Um, but if you're finding that she's repeatedly biting you every time she gets frustrated or angry, that's really when you need professional help to step in. Right. And what age is your daughter again? She's five. Five. Because you'll sometimes see, you know, I'll be at the park and you'll see a kid like kick their parents or, you know, but they're frustrated. But if it becomes a pattern, exactly. that's where you, yes. you know that. Yeah. Or the parents are not managing it well, too. So they sometime, might be being violent back. Exactly. Or being emotionally or verbally abusive. That's the other factor that fuels it. And then we're just bringing in that cycle of shame. Could you give our listeners some sort of idea, like things they could be saying that are verbally abusive that they don't realize? There's so many different ways that we do that. Um, I think that really it's about um, comparing our children to other people um, and saying, well, you know, Johnny does that a lot better than you do and, and really kind of shaming our child into something. Um, I think that we can talk about their behavior as being something really negative or bad or evil. Um, we can uh, talk about them being insufficient or lacking in some capacity. Um, anything that's going to really knock a child's self-esteem or confidence um, 
that's going to sort of prey on their insecurities as they're sort of developing who they are as human beings, I feel is emotionally abusive and really tough. Well, on that note, we have to take a little break, but um, we'll come back and grill you a little more. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, now we're back. And since we've asked all of our questions, I think, I mean, not all of ours, but all we have time for of our questions, I want to kind of rapid fire do some of our listeners' questions. 
You ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. Why do kids bite their nails? Kids bite their nails for various reasons. It can be from boredom um, to to really managing stress because it is a self-soothing mechanism. Um, and so 50% of children bite their nails. Uh, and a lot of parents just ignore it. But um, when it, if it becomes problematic or you're finding that it, the behavior is becoming uh, too uh, too problematic. Some kids actually bite them down to there's actually sort of uh, to their cuticles and it actually becomes painful. Then you really need to kind of start to come up with different tactics, whether it's putting nail polish or varnish on or manicure um, in order to, for them to sort of create different ways to manage their, their, their stress than actually through nail biting. Um, one listener had, uh, written in that their six-year-old granddaughter saw an image of a man who was shot um, on TV and has had anxiety ever since. How do we help our children if there's, you know, when they're hearing the news or the things on the outside? Right. The hard thing with media now is that they have so much exposure to it. And our brains don't know the difference between reality and fiction. So when a child is actually going to see a horrific image, it actually feels as if it's something that's happening to them now. Um, and so it's really kind of normalizing that behavior with that child and sort of have them understand that this is, the world is unsafe. And and unfortunately this is something that they saw way too early and too soon. Um, but just to reinforce their, their feeling of safety in the world is going to be so important for that child in order for them to start feeling calm again. Um, and I really am a big believer in, understanding what's appropriate media for children at what age. Um, and if, the, if a child's experiencing any sort of anxiety or trauma, it's a no-no for any type of violence, um, anything that's going to kind of cause their bodies to sort of uh, to, to misfire in that way. Um, so I, I like to say lots of uh, rainbows and ponies that they get to watch. <laughs> in that same token, Loud noises really upset my toddler. What are some ways I can keep him calm? Right. There's there's several ways to really think about it. And and one of the things we have to really think about is what type of personality does a child have? Um, and sometimes that kids could be on the spectrum or they could be uh, more of an introverted child that loud noises and lots of people tends to upset them more. So again, it's being curious about who your child is um, but to figure out how much they can tolerate, coming up with a plan ahead of time. I know you love routines and schedules, but this would be really about if you're going to a family function, how much can they actually manage? Um, putting them in situations that they may be able to tolerate for shorter periods of time than to kind of keep them there and keep them hyper aroused or overwhelmed the whole, the whole time is really important. While you said spectrum, what are what is something a parent should do or like what are signs that maybe your child is on the spectrum and what are the steps they should take? Right. Um, again, I think this is a, a, a term that we're overusing in our culture at this point about talking about people being on the spectrum because we're all different and we all have kind of a range. Um, I, I, the, it, it's really important to be working with a professional at that point. If you should be suspecting anything out of the norm is going on with your child with spectrum issues uh, rather than misdiagnosing or, or getting into kind of a language around it. Right. But you said a loud noise would possibly be a child being on the spectrum. So for a parent hearing that, if all of a sudden I I heard this, then I would go, oh, well, my daughter 
is afraid of loud noises. So I'm just trying to give them some sort of range range of mm-hmm. other things yeah. to keep an eye on before you rush to the doctor because, you know, that can also be they have sensitive ears or, you know, there's so many different yeah. things. Yeah, I think that's a good point is really kind of uh, sensory issues, difficulty time with connecting with other peers or within the school, ability with eye contact, um, feeling withdrawn, um, not engaging, not seem to be paying attention. Um, there's, there's a, there's a big, there's a big range of it, but it's really kind of seeing that they're not able to kind of connect in the way that maybe other children are. Um, and also too, that high social anxiety of being around certain individuals or situations causing them a tremendous amount of stress those would be signs that we would start to really need to pay more attention to. You talked a few moments ago about um, the importance of reassuring our children in their safety, especially when seeing median images. So what about a child who has fear at home, who is so worried at night that she's checking doors to make sure that they're locked, making sure that she's safe or he's safe in her home? How can we reassure safety for our children? Right. When a child is going through repetitive behavior like that and it's becoming something that's really compulsive, I'd really be curious about what else is happening. There may have been a traumatic event. There may have been something that happened um, that there needs to be further exploration around because they're trying to feel agency and control of safety by checking the locks 10 times. Uh, In order to break the pattern, once we understand what's causing it, in order to break the pattern really is just about getting them to tolerate. So maybe you're taking that down from 10 to nine to seven to six over time uh, in order to really allow them to stay calm in order to feel the sense of agency and control in their family. But I'd be really curious about what's going on in order to cause that kind of problem. Does the same go for like ticks? Yes. Yeah. It's normally triggered by something that's happened. Yeah, and 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 the and the fact is, ticks usually go away. But the more that we hyper focus on them, the more attention we bring to them, and the more that usually the tick actually happens as well. So, um, but it's it, children don't always have the language to communicate what's going on. So we they, it comes out in behaviors. And same thing for self harm. Yes. Yeah. When you can't tolerate the emotional state, it becomes so overwhelming that the only way for you to manage it is by harming yourself um, and whether that's cutting or whether it's over exercising, eating disorders, uh, whatever it may be. And uh, that's really important to get a professional involved if there's any suspecting any kind of self-harm is going on with your child. In terms of, you know, what things that we can do to offer our children support beyond um, beyond just the the communication, do, do something like a weighted blanket, can that help with anxiety with children? I am a huge believer in weighted blankets. <laughs> uh, I have probably five in my house. Um, yes, the the one the one issue to really worry about is coming from a trauma lens, which I'm always going to come from. Is if there was any sort of situation where a child had suffocation or felt like there was something that happened, where a weighted blanket could actually cause them to feel more unsafe and could cause more anxiety. Um, but what it really does is that they they were designed for children on the spectrum with sensory issues in order to calm down their nervous system so they weren't flaring around at night. And it's the same thing with anxiety. If we're moving around the whole night, uh, you know, having some weight on our body is really going to allow us to calm down and our nervous system to calm down. 
I just got a weighted blanket over the holidays <laughs> yes. and I've never slept so good in my life. It, they're amazing. I like it. Well, I like yeah. one now because I tried it and it has like a cooling thing in it. Before it didn't and I was getting very hot. But now with this one, I'm like, okay, I like this and my son likes it as well. But only some nights. Mm-hmm. He'll tell me. He's like, I don't want the blanket tonight. And he can also not have his feet covered sometimes which is what I find children so they just have a partial. They also have smaller ones that they can just put on their chest or they have stuffed animals. Aww. So they'll find if kids have a hard time traveling in the car or maybe it's transition going to school and they have their weighted blanket on them or their weighted stuffed animal as they're going to to uh, to school, then they find a lot of comfort in that. Do you think anxiety is a learned or an inherited trait? That's nature versus nurture, right? We know about epigenetics. We know that in utero, what gets transmitted, trauma gets transmitted to a, a to a child. So there is a factor of that. If there's been any stress or trauma, um, how that gets transmitted to a child's brain. But there's also in the environment. If if you if you are of a parent that is struggles with anxiety, there's going to be certain behaviors that you really. That, that, that the children are going to learn around you. So it is both. It's not an either or. Are there certain like supplements or I know a lot of people talk about oils or something like that to help our children cope with these with these feelings? I'm not a doctor to actually prescribe, but there are things that I do really love. And my probably my favorite is uh, holy basil. Uh, so it's a, it, it helps with adrenal health. And so especially with anxiety, what we're wanting to do is we want to calm down our adrenals. Um, so they have it in tea. Uh, they have it in little droppers that you can put in water. Um, I, I often recommend it to uh, parents. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about CBD or EMDR? I hear a lot about those things right. recently. Okay. So CBD, I would say no. There's not enough science. We don't, we don't really know what's going on around it. We love to market anything that's new. There's plenty of data to support various various issues that it has supported. But as a general practitioner, at some point, I wouldn't be recommending that for anxiety at this point, but to each their own, right? Um, EMDR are various modalities for to help children or families. There's um, internal family systems, there's havening technique, there's somatic experiencing, EMDR. These are all great modalities to help with trauma, to help with anxiety, but it really just depends on the individual. So it's not just one thing that actually is going to help everyone, um, but, but try them out and work with your practitioner and see what actually works for you. I'm a big believer right now in havening technique. I really love it. What is it? Havening technique. I don't know what that yeah, is. I've never heard of it. It's really <laughs> I'm good. like, please shed some light. We have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what it what it really does is it it helps to um, interrupt that neural network that happens when we do experience trauma or we're experiencing anxiety because we we wire things together, we wire patterns together, and so it interrupts it by actually kind of teaching you really simple things like, you know, doing the alphabet A to Z with animals or doing cities and countries. Uh, counting steps in your mind, doing imagery, because our brains can't be hyper aroused and feel that we're in a threat straight state and being actually doing higher level thinking at the same time. So it really helps with that. And I've seen so many people really get tremendous amount of results that have struggled with anxiety, struggled with trauma. And it's, it's something I'm super excited about right now. Maybe this is going way over my head, but like, what is an example of this like mom brain? I'm like, what is like, hey, is it a practice then that you're, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a therapy practice that we teach our clients, but it's something that you How can do you teach. How spell it? 
Havening. Hey, Google. I'm like, I've got to go to Google.com, <laughs> my professional that I deal with on a daily basis. Yes. I'm happy to talk to you more about it too. No, it sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and I know this is going to sound a little bit weird, but like I've also noticed when kids are on electronics a lot, they almost totally. become like zombies. And so therefore you can't even tell their actual behavior because it's like a detox right after they get off of it. Do you think it's all tied hand in hand? Do you think that there should be a limit? Like what is the limit? Um, I love custodial apps that you can be tracking what your kids are doing um, and how much time they are on. You can set all those limitations for it uh, and what they can see and what they can't. And to your point, yes, their brains do not know the difference between reality and fiction. And when they're getting into Fortnite, they're feeling the same way as if they were actually going to be a drone operator, right? That's terrifying. It's the I, truth. I just like, <laughs> we actually know that. I just looked at Leslie like this. Oh. I, I mean, yeah. I, my son, I actually, he's never played Fortnite, except he went to one part. We were at like somebody's house, and they he saw him playing. And he has asked me every day, just watching one boy, much older boy, play Fortnite for 15 minutes. He's now asked me for probably over six months, can I have Fortnite? Can I have Fortnite? I'm like, what do they put in there that like gets into kids' brain? I'm like, yeah. no, you cannot have Fortnite. The, the, stop asking. It's not going to happen. But like... For it to have that big of an impact from just watching somebody else play a game, I don't even get it. Well, it it, it jacks our nervous system, right? And we're gonna get we're gonna get a, a adrenaline rush from it. Um, so there's a part of it that's really exciting. The fact is that you're shooting things and you're feeling all exhilarated. But to your point, is getting them off it. It it, it is it's addictive. Um, there's a social currency around it too. That's really, really hard. And these are hard things to navigate. And that's what I love about that website, because I think she really does a great job of explaining from the, from the, the brain science of what actually is going on with our children that we can't argue with and, and they can't argue with. It's not kind of Johnny gets to do this or, or someone else is doing it. It's really kind of understanding, Hey, this isn't good for you. And this is why we're not doing it as a family. This is a decision that we've made, even though it's a hard one to do. Um, but I think it's all talking about moderation and, and what your child can tolerate and what they can't. What what does moderation look like? Because sometimes if I'm trying to like cook a meal and I have two kids running around the house, like I just need a 30 minute episode of like Paw Patrol to, to so I can get through. <laughs> Take the edge off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a great. For all of us. <laughs> yeah. That's a great time frame too. You're not, it's not two hours. It's not, you know, all day. They have unlimited amount of time. You're giving them a finite period of time. There may be even a reward system around it. It may be once you get your homework done, then you get this reward. Um, but I, giving them a concrete finite period of time that you're consistent is so important around media for children. And really, again, monitoring it, know what's going on. There's a lot that's happening that so many parents don't know how is happening. And then it creeps up on them. And then you have a really big problem. So it's based on like an hour, like the, the, the amount of time, like I'm trying to figure out, cause I feel like just in practicality, like what is a good, what's a good time frame to, to tell parents? I mean, parents tend, I, I, I tend to sort of say like do 30 minutes of chunks, but it really depends on you. Um, that, because sometimes when you get into an hour, then it's the snowball of transitioning out of is so difficult depending, especially depending on the age of a child. And you really have to look at where their maturity is. A five-year-old is going to be very different than a 16-year-old. 
And how, if if you have a, a bunch of kids and you have one child who's really struggling behaviorally, how do you, uh, we, we know now we've kind of talked to you about what to do for the child that's struggling, but what about the other kids? Yeah, that's such a hard thing that I see in my practice a lot too, is just the focus and the hyper-focus on the child who's struggling and then the child who is not or the children that are not feel ignored or their needs are not really met. And then later on, it, it kind of creeps up on the family. Um, so I think it's so important to constantly be checking in with them to know what's going on, seeing what the impact is, even having other people, uh, if you don't have the time or capacity because your child's needs, one of your child's needs is so great. That's really where you're kind of bringing resources of your child's, your, your children's teachers or their after school activities of their coaches. Hey, can you just check in with them to make sure that they're doing okay? I'm really stressed about this one particular child and I really need to help. So we have to work together as a community and as a tribe and really in order to support our kids. And you'll a lot of times hear moms or I'm, I'm just saying moms, but I'm sure it's parents say like the only way that I can get my kids to listen to me is when I raise my voice. What are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your thoughts on actually snapping at your kids or even if it's plan, a planned snap? What are the repercussions of that? I mean, I, we've come to a time where things have shifted so much from like how I was raised that there was like, I mean, a lot different, but I, I'm just curious mm -hmm. because what is the okay way now? Right. I think it's so important to teach our kids about repair and saying sorry and apologizing and accountability and we're, and that we're human. And as a parent, we're going to make mistakes all the time. And to really communicate that to our children is, you know what? I messed up. I should have said something different. I should have acted different. This is the way I wanted to do it. I just got really frustrated. Um, you're going to make mistakes. And I think to be kind to yourself as a parent is so important. The other factor, though, if it becomes sort of a pattern that the only way you feel that you can get your child to do something is by screaming about them is what you're really teaching them is about dominance and control. And that's not healthy for a child is the fact is in order to be louder and bigger you have to, in order to get what you want is, is, is not a great way to be parenting. So to really be checking in with that and maybe working with someone in order to support how to communicate with your children differently. One question that I think is interesting is when do you push your kids to, through a new situation or a situation that might feel a little scary for them versus not forcing them into it. I know with my daughter with like rides and stuff like at Disneyland, certain things are really scary to her when they shouldn't be. When do you sort of encourage it? And when do you back off? Yeah, I think it's looking at the situation. Um, if it's something that's going to feel terrifying in their nervous system and you, it makes sense to you why they would be fearful of doing it, maybe it might not be age appropriate for them at that time. Maybe that ride is she's just too young for at this time. And maybe when she's 10, she'll be super psyched to go on the roller coaster. But I think it's also about setting it up for success. We talk about it ahead of time. We set up the goals. We set up what's going to happen we love imagery in our brains. And so if they can imagine what's going to happen, it's going to calm them down and then it's going to really make them feel excited and, and, and feel so proud when they actually are accomplishing it. And then it's just doing the repetition. Once they've got it down, let's do that again. Let's do that again and keep doing it until it becomes something that they've self-mastered. Because I, I know I've fallen to fault to that when it like they don't want to try. It's something from like the new slide at the park. Like, I don't want to try it. And I'm like, let's try it. Let's try it with mommy first. Boom, we go. There's crying at first. And then, OK, I want to do it again. But then I'm like, did I just push them too far? No, you didn't. 
you taught them about that they can actually take risks and they can take care of themselves. I mean, that's a great parenting moment. Okay. Yeah. But at what point then if my, like this ride, and I'm sorry to make this about me, but if this like ride that she wants to go on and that is, you know, she's tall enough for her friends are going all of this. And now it's sort of, at what point does she create, are you creating like a, a monster in their head? that, oh, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And you sort of just take them down the slide, like Teddy said, and you show them that it isn't this big bag thing. Again, I think that's really about kind of doing the imagery with them ahead of time. She's seen the ride. She can even look at it on the internet. She can talk to her friends about their experiences and set that up for success. Figure out where there may be kind of traps that she's just not ready for. or Maybe she's she hasn't kind of worked through her feelings yet about it. But I think if she can imagine what it's going to be like, then that's going to actually encourage her to actually want to take those steps in order to do it. And then when she does it, I mean, it's all hooray, you know, I'm so proud of you. Let's go do that again. And she may be on that ride three or four times at Disney that day. (laughs) What about when it comes to like a security blanket or toy or stuffy or whatever it may be now, oftentimes in school, they're not letting your kids bring those things in. Yeah. That's really tough because you've got school policies, but we, we're talking about children and their development is all going to be different and they're going to have different life factors. They're going to have new babies and brothers or they're going to have a death in the family. And if those things bring them comfort and they soothe them, it's tough. Um, so I think it's really kind of meeting your child where they're at and try to really work with a school. Um, I know I'm a mom and I, when we moved to California, my daughter was in third grade and was having a tough time. And we ended up having a hamster in the science lab that it really helped her to kind of connect friendships and to talk to people. And I worked with the school in order to make that happen. I mean, ended up being like the highlight of the third grade as well too. Um, but it's thinking beyond just sort of what the, the structure of the school looks like and seeing if they can really work with you to accommodate your family. Did you talk to the actual teacher? Did you talk to the headmaster? Like, what was the way, what was your approach to actually make that happen? Yeah. Um, I actually did both. Um, I have an introverted child. I gave him the Susan Cain's book on quiet and talked to them about just, you know, this is overwhelming for her to be in kind of a new environment and, um, and really advocated for her as a, as a parent to help her and said, Hey, you know, how can we sort of set this up for success and in order to kind of have her connect with people in different ways. And so Snowball became the popular uh, animal to be taking home on the weekends. Um, and it became something that was a tradition. And people knew that that was my daughter's hamster. And it really allowed her just to 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 thrive. We've talked a bit about, the, about sort of younger children. What about teenagers that are kind of suffering um, from anxiety, like uh, uh a 15-year-old who's not sleeping or a 15-year-old who's like moved to a new location and they're now having this. Like, What are ways that is, that we can help our teenagers? Especially when they're like, I don't like the therapist you took me to. And it happens repeatedly. Right. So unfortunately, one third of our teenagers ages 13 to 18 are going to experience anxiety. We know that college freshmen, the statistics are 41%. We're seeing rates going through the roof for our our youth at this point. I mean, anxiety is a real problem for them. Um, And it's hard because they're around it so much and there's so much conversation around it that actually even causes more anxiety. Um, So it, again, I think it's really about educating them. I work with a ton of teenagers and they feel so empowered to really understand how their bodies and brains are working and learning coping skills in order to kind of manage that. So whether it's pinky breathing in order for them to learn abdomen breaths, um, whether it's, 
using imagery, whether it's doing various techniques, uh, tooling them up in order for them to keep grabbing at things in order to calm them down. Um, the other really interesting thing that I brought up earlier, too, is about labeling emotions. I had so many kids come in and they're telling me that they have a panic attack before they're going to their first dance or their prom or their first kiss. And they've labeled that as something that's scary and terrifying versus something that's so exciting. And so we really have to kind of shift them to understand that uh, they, they, they have the capacity to have more feelings than just four and that it's okay for them to feel exciting, to have heart palpitations and to be nervous about a first kiss. That's a good thing. And we've got to kind of start wiring our brains in that way. How do you know as a parent, though, if your child is just having that nervous, excited energy? Like, I know if I'm about to go, like, speak to a group of people or that I'm not having anxiety. I'm excited and that's a good thing and it means that I'm going to deliver well. That being said, for a kid or, you know, a, a teenager who could possibly be having like a true blown panic attack. Mm -hmm. How do you know if that's happening versus the other? I'm not saying that they're not having a panic attack about going to the prom. I'm saying that they have actually not allowed themselves to even imagine the fact that they could feel excited. They've just kind of limited their feeling states to just these few things. Um, that's one of the really big issues. But the other issue to your point is just the amount of pressure. We've got to take the pressure off for these kids they, have, they feel like they have to have everything figured out. They have to be masters. They have to know where they're going to college. They have to be uh, experts in their sports, single sports. They're having burnout. Um, they're having injuries. Um, and, and we have to kind of say, it's okay if you're not getting the A. It's okay if you're not being the top athlete. It's okay if you're not you know, succeeding at everything. They just feel this tremendous amount of pressure. So we really need to be able to hold the emotions that they're not able to carry. That's our job as parents um, and in order to help them launch. And in closing, because I know we're running out of time, what would you say the key piece of advice you could give to any parent out there on anything regarding this topic? Like the one takeaway. The one takeaway is just really about being curious about your children, understanding and connecting with them and being present with them to really, to really to really allow them to feel like they have a safe space that they can really talk about their feelings. They can talk about things that are hard. Um, and then really trying to teach them how to, to resource and come up with solutions to combat these issues that they're not carrying around these nervous states in their bodies all the time. That's a good takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good thing for us to think about too. I mean, how often do we think we're present, but we're not necessarily hundred percent present as parenting. All the, time. <laughs> All the time. I'm like, I'm like, cause it half, you know, sometimes like I'll, I'm like, okay, I'm putting the phone completely down. It's our time. We're doing this. And then my mind will wander and I'm not actually fully, my body's there and I'm not looking at the phone, but I need to, you know, continue. And I, I write that down like as like in my goals or like my daily goals is like be present. And this, I have the same thing with adults, with everything. And so I think that's such a huge thing for all of us to think about is like really figure out a way that works for you that you can be present when you're doing things. If not, we're just going through the motions and like not really living the life that we want to live. And I think to your point, like being present in ways that like you feel like you can be present for. Like, I don't know if that's like if you're you can sit down and play old maid with your kids or Legos or whatever or something that like you can actually in gauge with as well. So it's, it's, so it's sort of fun. So everyone. it's knowing, like, I'm not a craft gal. 
Like, I'm not the one that, like, wins the, like, our kids never win craft day because I'm not the mom that's, like, going to be killing it at that. But, like, I love to, like, take my family on, like, family hikes or we play soccer or we're doing, you know, bike rides, those types of things where we can laugh, talk about our favorite songs. Like, that for me is my, like, best way to to spend time with the kids. But I know some moms who can get down on the ground and, like, they can honestly play Barbies for two hours. That's not my strong suit. So it's kind of knowing your strong suit and formulating around it. Right. I mean, at least that's what I'm telling myself. (laughs) I think you're making a great point, too, because it may be that your family is a ping pong family or you may be swimmers or you may be having Friday night game nights. Um, And also, too, using humor is so important for kids. Um, So just laughing. You mentioned that. It's just so important. So have fun. Be present. Do things together. Try not to take ourselves too seriously. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys! Thank you so much for coming on today. I truly appreciate it, and I think we, I think we got through a lot of the questions. I think we 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 hammered through. So I hope you guys keep sending in your questions, no matter what the topic is. We will get to it. I love this. So thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Teddy Teapot on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Staying consistent is hard, but it's important if you want to see results. Symbiotica is one of the fastest growing health and wellness companies right now, and they're one of the only brands that are committed to your health. They only use the cleanest and purest ingredients in their formulas. No seed oils, no preservatives, or toxins. Let me walk you through my morning routine. I wake up, make my coffee, and then make sure to fill my water with Symbiotica Pure Hydration before my early morning workout. They source the best ingredients from all around the world. And I've loved every supplement I've tried so far. What's even better is that Symbiotica makes it a breeze to stay on track. With a subscription, your supplements arrive at your doorstep every month. Ready to feel the results? Head over to Symbiotica.com and use code POD for 15% off your subscription order. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.